Welcome to the Mike Hewitt Show. Nine years and growing. It's about family, business, work, and politics like you've never heard it before. Yep, it's true. There's more than just a touch of wry humor mixed in. And now your host, Mike Hewitt. Folks, I am Mike Hewitt. Co-hosts Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedendorski. People still email me. Would you say that guy's name is? fun stuff. Listen, Miles, you and I did not do show notes together this week, but it looks like we did at least out of the gate. So folks, I had written general election math strategy in the disconnect. I think there is a disconnect, but I'm not sure it's real um, or if it's or if it's media driven, etc. So Miles, you shared an article with us for show, show notes with, with some thoughts of Victor Davis Hansen a fellow that you and I both follow, I think. What Tell us about that topic, Miles Bauer. Well, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, he was saying, yeah, the uh, Democrats running up to the midterms are coming up with the January 6th committee and let's go invade Trump's house and all these other things to distract us from what's actually going on in the uh, country. And I thought it was interesting how, and you and I talked about this several months ago on on the phone, that Hansen makes reference back to what Newt did in the mid-90s, where he basically took the contract with America and made it kind of a national referendum. And yet for whatever reason, the Republican Party chose not to go that route again this year and make this a national thing. And they're, and they're basically allowing the uh, Democrats to run Kabuki theater. I, I, I think you're right um, that, that the GOP leadership is not. But I can tell you with myself as a district chair, for the GOP, meaning I have a front row seat, at least in the state of Michigan to what's going on, is that we're busy with our own civil war. So I just this past week attended a, uh, a state convention. It was the second most ruckus state convention I've ever attended in my life. It was bordering on outrageous. Folks brought megaphones to yell and yell, by the way, yelled at me. And I was reading a paragraph. That was my entire presentation on the stage. They had no clue what I was saying. It didn't matter. And my, by the way, I didn't take that personally. It's my interpretation, Miles Bauer, and you tell me if I'm wrong. But when I watched that, that you know, the knee-jerk reaction is to call it a civil war, and it's unsightly. The, and the, but the reality of it is, is I think it's really healthy because a lot of the debate and the argument taking place need to take place. There are a lot of angry people in America. I think Victor Davis Hanson touches on that often. I think it's it's the, the party's not acknowledging it officially, and I think that's a mistake, because frankly, the folks that agree with me and disagree with me in those convention food fights, you gotta know something. I'm on the side of having them because I think it's important. I really do. I didn't feel that way. You both, Miles, you and Lud both know, I pushed hard in the spring convention 
against the folks that were bringing the anger. But the reality of it is, is that the more we as a total sit back and watch, you know, now I'm watching Aviator Joe, Cool Joe. Well, anybody with any kind of historical perspective remembers something totally different. I still think of him as plagiarist Joe, the racist liar. Yeah, but you know who doesn't know that? They the know folks that don't watch the news and are your, your, your age and down. Exactly. This guy was terrible. 47 years of neck-deep terrible. Now, he calls whatever the actual real number was that voted for Trump. Now we're all, not only from from the, the, the spokesperson's mouth, but from Joe himself, we're all terrorists. So remember, millennials are the largest generation. They even surpassed the baby boomers. And they're the ones that don't know, and they hear cool Joe, like, yeah, he is a cool guy. He got I'd like to have a beer with that guy. He got aviators. Listen, Miles, you and I were aviators throughout the 70s and 80s. I thought they went out of style, but now they're cool I got again. But they're not going to be cool on you, Lud. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> Yuck. See, even Jared agrees. <laughs> Listen, I've been saying for a long time. That was his way of politely laughing at you. That's all right. I'll take it for what I – it's the receiver that gets the tone of the message. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh-huh. so what I've been saying for a long time is the Republican Party has a messaging problem. And they have a huge messaging problem. Until they figure it out, we're in trouble. The other thing I'm seeing through all this is they're still playing – Chess from 1970 in the political the The, the GOP? Arena. Yeah, in the political arena. I'm sorry. We're so far beyond that with the age of social media. You cannot do that. They better step up and, and adjust their game because they're losing. I, listen, I don't know if we are or not. I don't believe we are, by the way. And I still think there's going to be a red wave. To Victor Davis Hansen's article, is it going to be the monster that everybody thought in the spring? Miles and I didn't think it in the spring. Yeah, no. We, I remember you and I on this show, Miles, going, I'm not buying right into that yet. Right. But I will right. tell you I will tell you this. When I listen to everything you just said about messaging, and folks, remember, we, do the, we, we host this show in Michigan. Miles, you call in from Chicago. And from, right. from, our, from our combined vantage points, here in Michigan, I get to, we get to read the Detroit News, the MLive.com, et cetera, uh, the, the Muskegon Comical, as I affectionately refer to it. These people are off-the-wall leftists. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, pick your favorite writer and go follow them on Twitter and watch the folks that surround them and the things that they say when they're not going through an editor. It's not like they're centrists looking at both sides going, no, calling balls and strikes, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're a little right, you're a little... They're not doing that. They're far leftist. And I'm going to offer you an example. So we've got a gubernatorial race now following our convention that just closed. Now we've got a candidate in Tudor Dixon, and her running mate is Sean Hernandez. Uh, the wit- Witless, whatever you want to call our current governor, likes to point at Tudor Dixon and call her an abortion, um, a pro-life radical extremist. So then we have to sit down as a society and weigh out what that means. So Tudor Dixon is against abortion. The current governor wants abortion till birth. Which one of those two positions are the extreme? But that's based on who you're asking. I, no. Who wants to say, you could have been born in an hour, but we didn't want you, so we aborted you? Hey, who thinks that's a humanity? I don't. Who thinks that's a humanity issue to say, I'm going to abort you an hour before you were going to be born? That's animalistic. Yes. It's barbaric. Listen, I agree they with didn't you. even, animals don't even do that. It's an outrage. It's an extreme 
position. But the Detroit Snooze, the Muskegon Comical, and folks, wherever you're at hearing me, none of your newspapers, or extremely few of them, are going to go, holy smokes, did that person really call for abortion till birth? That's an outrage. So if we get into the dices and start arguing the issue about if a woman is raped, if it's going to kill the mother, you most folks that are reasonable pause and go, I get that. But when you say abortion to birth, no matter what, period, and call somebody else a radical, you're either a liar or a nut. But they're getting voted in, so that means enough people must believe No, that. enough people are not paying attention. They're reading the Detroit News as they or. Or, or the Chicago, what's your Chicago Tribune? They're reading yep. whoever, whoever wallpapered that wall. Yeah, but you know what? I, I agree. But I asked a student once when Trump first got in that if Trump made his life better, made the country better and everything else, would he consider voting for him the second term? And he said, absolutely not. Because of who he is personally. Yes. Uh, and listen, Miles, you and I, we're down to seconds now before break, but you and I have debated the antics of Trump throughout from his campaign thereafter. I don't know that I particularly like him, but listen, folks, I got to tell you, I love the results of his administration. So I don't want to go have a beer with him. And by the way, I didn't want to have a beer with Obama either. I'm, I'm just telling you, but I loved the results. I'm just that if we don't start looking at it that way, holy smokes, folks, stay with us. We've got to go to a hard break. We'll be right back. All right, listen, Miles, let's let's jump right back into what you were just talking about at break. Uh, go ahead and take everybody from the top and let's get into it. Yeah, no, it was interesting at the beginning of Trump's term that you were telling me about people that spent their whole political career trying to bring forth the policies that Trump was implementing but yet they were never Trumpers. So they even went to the extreme of unfriending you. Yes. And I think that's true, by the way, across the spectrum, not just for Mike Hewitt, but in total. And part of that, in my opinion, Miles, goes to the tribalization and the factioning that we've often talked about. In fact, on the show notes for today, I want to do a deep dive on exactly that topic, which was from an anonymous emailer that asked me to get into divisionistism. And in fact, I even did the 60-second piece this week on that topic because I think it's critical. Um, but I, I, what I found just as fascinating from the area you cited is I remember standing at a, a, a multi-congressional district picnic for the Republicans, and Trump was, on, was nominated. He had been nominated and so the the various elected officials at the time were, you know, each one of them have to say their two or three minutes to the large group. They did not want to say the word Trump, the name Trump. So as a district chair back then, when it was my turn, I said, let's talk about the person that's not here that seems to have his name forgotten often. And <laughs> now here's the fun part about that and why I'm bringing it up that way is that much if not all of that group of, uh, of elected officials, I just watched a cycle go by 
where they were tripping over themselves for a Trump endorsement. And I thought, wow, how times have changed. So I'm reading this article from the Washington Post, midterms looking much better for Democrats because of Trump. Democrats still face headwinds from inflation, Biden's low approval ratings. And that's a Fox News story, folks. But, Miles, when you hear that kind of story, that title at least, and knowing you, I know you read the article, what, what, how do you think that dovetails with reality? No, it, no, <laughs> no. I mean, it, this is just more distraction. Yeah, it, it is. I, I will tell you the only hesitation I've had is, in, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably somewhere between them and you on this, and you and I have talked about this both off air and on air. Lud, you, you have an opinion here also. Mm-hmm. I'm not pushing you on, I'm going to drag you in in a second. But I use Michigan as an example again, folks, only because I know the numbers. It's the same in most every state. So in Michigan, we've got 110 House seats. Of those 110, most of them, the lion's share of them, are either Democrat or they're Republican. Very, there's two, depending on who's telling the story, there's between 10 and 15 that are purple that go back and forth. And so when we come from our side with the, um, the, the America First agenda and we're hardline on saying this is what we're going to do, period, we risk those districts. We just do. And the problem with that is it, it, it may bleed into what, how much of a majority we pick. I, I'm, listen, I, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't look forward, but my experience in politics tells me that I, I don't think that we're, we should pretend that we're something that we're not. But, you know, the old cliche about pivoting into the general, it could never be more true than it is right now. And so, Miles, I'm going to guess that you and I are not in total agreement on this, and I want to hear your input, and then we'll grab Lud from the baby's generation. Well, no, I mean, so... You're the guy that's always about, hey, I'd rather have I'd rather have a bunch of milky toast Republicans <laughs> so that we can be the chair people of all these committees. And I've always kind of looked at that a little bit and said, does that not diminish our message? It's it's a curious thing. So let's look at it in Michigan from the Democrat side for a minute. Lud, you're squishy. You may have a Democrat hat in your desk drawer, just in case. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm teasing a little bit. Listen, though, when I look at Michigan, those same 110 House seats, the GOP has maintained a majority in that House for a number of years, Uh, better than a decade, I believe, if not very close. So if you're a Democrat in Michigan and you're running around talking about abortion till birth and you're talking about a... 4 million people somehow having a state budget of 76 billion and that makes sense to you they're hardline they believe what they believe the same as we believe about trump's agenda and it's cost them the majority and so if you're a democrat you're a state legislator you ain't getting nothing done whatever your bill is it's not about having the title of committee chair it's about the person that decides what bill is going to leave the committee and what bill isn't And the Speaker of the House, this is true on a federal level and in every state in the United States, so it comes out of committee because a Republican said yes. If it were a Democrat, Democrat going to say no. And then the Speaker, if it's a a Republican Speaker, 
the chances are very strong that our Republican bills are going to get voted on, hopefully up, not down, but are at least going to get voted on. Democrats in Michigan don't have the speakership, and their their stuff doesn't ever get out of the... Uh, so I look at it and go, yeah, principle's wonderful. Principle is great, but an L by your name on everything you want to achieve is not very rewarding. You can't play if you're not in the game. You, so it's not that I want to sell out, Miles. It's that I look to say we, we absolutely need a majority or our principal won't buy us a bowl of soup. That's my only point. And I sometimes look at how we're doing it now, um, and, I, and I read this Fox News article, and I go, you know, there's some, there's some rationale to their logic. So we had principal, and now we're on the sideline. So Trump is absolutely going to have an effect on this election. Yes. And it will likely not give us the landslide that I guess many thought might happen because the river reads. So those people who hate inflation, hate high gas prices, hate uh, indoctrination in the schools, hate COVID restrictions, all the things they couldn't stand, that's why Joe Biden's rating so low, are going to be pushed back towards him because they can't stand Trump. Not policies, Trump. So by making sure he's in the news all day, every day, about this Mar-a-Lago raid and all these things, and they keep bringing him in. They're not letting him go anywhere. They're going to keep him for front and center to push those people back towards going, okay, I don't want Trump. Even though Tudor Dixon is not like Trump, her policies may be like Trump, but her attitude's not. You've met her. I, 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 I don't know her well, but I've met her several times. Well, I know she wasn't boisterous um, and, and, and my face loud and... and and tweeting all crazy, some of the uh, complaints against Trump. These but, are but, but listen, to your point on that topic, I think her agenda is very uh, Trumpian. The, I do. The economics, the, the, the policy side. And, and, but listen, even even on the social side, except for the Detroit snooze, or I mean, I'm sorry, I mean Whitmer wants to think of her as an extremist, I think that she carries, um, my interpretation, carries a view of abortion that most folks, forget D's and R's, have, meaning in the case that the mother is going to die, yeah. Um, rape, I've debated rape on this show before. So I go, wait a minute, we're going to rehabilitate the rapist and kill the child? I wrestle with that. I really honestly do, folks. I get it, by the way. I'm not drawing a line in the sand on it. I get it, but that's my thought process. Rehabilitate the rapist and, and kill the baby. This, I, is my, this is my point. That's exactly right. Is but, that they're going to correlate Trump's attitude and Trump the man to Tudor Dixon being that, not the policies What's, that everybody loves. So they're going to forego looking at inflation, all the things they hate, they're going to forego that and go back the other way. That's where Trump's going to have bring the Democrats to win some seats they probably shouldn't. Miles, we're down inside 30 seconds. You're the Trump-publican. What say you on what Ludwig just said? Well, I think that the Democrats are working overtime trying to, again, just like Russia, 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 trying to put uh, Trump in a bad light, which is the reason why they had to invade his home, yep. even though that was the first time in American history. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Now you watch on Twitter and they're all talking about lock, lock him up, lock him up. Folks, we've got to go to a break. We'll be right back. Folks, if you're just tuning in, I am Mike Hewitt, co-hosts 
Miles Bauer and Ludwig von Wiedemdorski. And let me take advantage of this moment to say, if you're hearing things you want to pile on, if you like them, if you want to critique us, tell me I'm wrong. You can join in with Miles I. Tell, tell Ludwig he's wrong. Send me an email to Mike at the Show.com. I, I reply to all of them. I genuinely love hearing from listeners, so please tell us that you're out there. Texas, Miles, this is about you, but let me start with the word Texas. <laughs> ah, that's an article from Fox News. Texas and buses of migrants to Chicago for the first time dropped them all off at the train station. <laughs> Subtitle, Chicago is the third Democrat-run city. It's not really run very well, let me just add that. Third Democrat-run city where Texas officials have sent, they keep calling them migrants. Let me correct this. They are illegal aliens by legal definition. Miles, what say you down there in beautiful Chicago? No, you know, and I I, uh, love it. I mean, when you think about all of the people that are either shot or killed on a weekly basis down here, and then Mayor Lighthead comes up with, we're going through the summer of joy. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with what Governor Abbott is doing in Texas. Right. He's like, you know what? If you guys are all uh, for this, then you should share in the fun and the excitement. Well, you're a sanctuary city, right? Yeah. So he's been picking sanctuary cities in in uh, your mayor lighthead um she's talking about him being a racist because he's shipping these folks to them and i thought wait a minute stop the bus for a minute no pun intended mm-hmm. if if why would she mayor of a sanctuary city think that the act of sending the very illegal aliens she supports coming to the united states into her city is racism to me folks and miles correct me you're right there in the middle of it but in my heart in my mind intellectually honest for a minute folks her position is racist to say we want these people everywhere but not here we don't actually want them here did you look at them that's kind of what she's saying miles correct me if i'm wrong man no no you are absolutely correct and and my my only point about bringing up the violence down here is that I think it's also racist of, of her to not do anything about it for years. It is. And I'll tell you who else it's racist of. Most of the crime that you're referring to, the murders and, and violence, are black-on-black crime. And so I look at Fox News, CNN, Reuters, uh, um, BBC, all of them that are writing domestic articles about the United States. And we've talked about this before. But if some white kid in a white school somewhere shoots three people, folks, I'm not diminishing it. Please understand me. But we'll hear about it for a week. And every weekend, 40-plus black folks are shot by other black folks in just one half of one city. And that's not newsworthy. I find that racist, repugnant, revolting. Am I overstating that, Miles Bauer? No, I'm, you know, the, the uh, thing that I wonder is that if are the people on the south side of Chicago, are they not people? Yeah, evidently they're not worthy of ink 
in a newspaper. They're not worthy of a clickbait on CNN, etc. I, I, Miles, I, I think that they're treated way less than the rest of the folks in the United States and right. solely because it does not fit the narrative that the media wants to tell. I see it, by the way, when we're off on these other topics about how do they reinvent cool aviator Joe. I see this as an advent of that. I, I To me, it's the same media. How do you as a media outlet, as an honest, look-yourself-in-the-mirror journalist, especially one writing in, in Chicago, how do you ignore 40-plus people every single week dying? How do you ignore that? How do you not set your pen to paper? How do you look yourself in the mirror? Stuff enrages me, folks. I'm sorry. But those folks had lives. They've got brothers and sisters and mothers, folks that love them, and we can't even talk about it. It's not even part of the news cycle, but we run around on ooh and ah when, when the story fits. That's not acceptable. Not in my world. That's how I see it. Lud, you're the younger guy. Are, are, are those two old guys off in the drink on this? No, Chicago's a mess. But uh, but every every city in the United States, every major city, the top 25 are hot messes. Yeah. Hot messes. People are dying every day in every major city but, in the United States, and it's not newsworthy. It doesn't matter. Trump took classified documents. But Hillary did. Hillary left a C, her, her whole uh, CPU behind the toilet in a public bathroom in Colorado. Yeah, but Trump took classified documents. Every president that's ever been there did. You're but, baiting me, and you know it, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm casting the real. <laughs> every president that even Jimmy Carter did. He probably, I, I'm, I can't beat up. But did he Jimmy. hide him in his wife's underwear drawer? <laughs> you don't think those fellows were embarrassed? They oh, sure they were embarrassed. embarrassed. And then they do the leak snapshot of the files laying out on the floor. And and it's it's a fascinating thing because, folks, he has access to those files. Obama still has access to those files. Jimmy Carter still has access to those files. So we're only arguing about where they were. Yeah. That's all we're arguing about. Oh, and by the way, that leaked photo, apparently they were color folders. Yes. And based on the color, determines what classification level and what it deals with. Right. So we actually, by leaking that photo, gave out... Super classified information. Right. So they, are they going to raid their but house? They, but they really don't care. No. This is all agenda-driven. Miles Bauer, you were spot on when you identified the agenda. This is about besmirching Trump because it looks like if he raises his flag and says, I'm running again, he will get the nomination. Folks, I'm telling you flatly, if you're a Republican and you like him or hate him, I'm just flat telling you, if he raises the flag, says, poof, I'm a candidate, he will be our nominee. Assuming he's still alive and everything's where we're at right now, he will be our nominee. I'm going to start filling out some extra ballots now then so he wins. And, and now, and listen, he gets to do the opposite. He gets to do the opposite of Ronald Reagan. Now he can look up there and ask the same question with the, with the opposite of reaction. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Yeah. I watch these numbskulls on Twitter going, oh, stop it. Inflation's getting better. I went, where's she buying her food? So double the gas price is better to you? <laughs> double the utility bills, that's better to you? By the way, I just want to point out that I completely switched the messaging and conversation by telling you they raided Trump's house. Yeah, but you're... Which but, is the problem we have. But it's all going <laughs> to dump on top of you. I'm just saving these things that's up, all right. bud. That's all right. <laughs> but that's the problem we're having. We... 
we got to play a different game. We haven't recreated the way we've reached people. We haven't recreated the spin, the, the, the game. We're, we're still playing a game from, seven, from 1970. Here's my interpretation of that, and then you can correct me. Mm-hmm. I invite you to, by the way. What I hear you say is that they're Denebian slime devils, and for us to win, we got to emulate them, and I refuse to do that. No, it's if, not if they can run around and point at plagiarist, lying, racist Joe and say, there's aviator cool Joe, I don't have that in my blood. I'll sit here on this radio show in the political party structure and say, these are the things I didn't like about Donald Trump. These are the things I loved about Donald Trump. And yes, I'll vote for him again. But I can be intellectually honest. I've never met a person that I agree with on everything, but it, especially you. But you're looking. I'm looking at it differently then. A good coach can switch the strategy to play in the same game, but not the same way, and still win. So I don't have to play dirty. So to you're win. so you're not saying we got to be liars, cheats, and snakes. No, you got to strat. You got to oh, change yeah. your strategy and learn how to confront and beat what they're doing. Not play at the same level. Miles, do you think you could correct him in the thirty seconds we have left? Yeah, I was going to say, Lou. <laughs> remember, what was it last week or the week before last that Mike as a former cruiser actually agreed with me about throwing bowling balls at people. Yep. Were you, you weren't here. Were you here when I did my mea copa? No, you missed that. Yeah. Ah, it was one of the two weeks I've missed this year. Oh my God. Miles, did you hear that folks? (laughs) We're going to go to a break so you can laugh. We'll be, we'll be right back. All right, Miles, Ludwig, everybody. I've saved this topic for last, I guess, today. We're coming into the final stretch of the show today. And I this is part of what the anonymous email I received. person said who they were asked me not to repeat it. But the topic of the exchange I had with the listener uh, was about divisionist politics, divisionist candidates and parties, and divisionism within those groups, but mostly divisionism with the the media in total. Uh, Miles, especially you and I, but all three of us, over the last several years, way beyond the political vantage point where we're at now, have talked about how, in fact, I think you're the one on this show at least that used the word tribalism first. Um, I think the media, and when I say the media folks, I'm talking about entertainment news, you call it cable news, I call it entertainment cable news. I think that all of them, by the way, just so you're clear, left, right, Fox, CNN, all of them, in my opinion, are divisionary people. They're selling sensation. Sensation brings views, more views bring more revenue. I get it. And their agendas may smile at that, but their drive is money. Miles, am I correct with that? Yeah, you are, exactly. And so we know... We know that rage, outrage, as it were, and, and anger, we know that that drives viewership. It's the clickbaits um, from the Internet, folks. And by the way, folks, when I'm talking about clickbait on the Internet, I'm not just talking about silly articles from CNN or Reuters or you know Yahoo or wherever. I'm also talking about social media because folks, citizens, good people, will post something on Facebook that they know is sensational, they may not have vetted it, by the way, because a, a large share of it is nonsense. 
I'll, I'll take something that blows my hair back and go research it. And then I roll my eyeballs and move on. I think those things are are real costly. And you got the ink slingers, as I call the journalists, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, Detroit News, MLive.com, local, you know, again, the, the uh, Muskegon comical as I affectionately to it, the Holland Sentinel, where we broadcast our flagship here in Holland, Michigan. Holland Sentinel is not unbiased journalism. I'm just telling you. You might like them, folks, because that's where we're at, and I'm not going to assault them, but nobody's ever going to say, wow, that's a centrist, unbiased organization, because it just isn't. And I think all of that is having an impact on our culture. Um, And so, Miles, you and I are about the same age. You're a little younger, but I'm not wanting to give you credit for that. Ludge, you're in a different generation. Jared is our producer. He's in a different generation, and it gives us an opportunity, I think, to look at changes. And so when I was young, it's where I'm taking all this. The reason, folks, I'm doing it, we're always debating politics. Let me just stop myself for a minute. We're always debating politics, and I'm always asking myself, episode after episode, almost 10 years now, is there a price we're paying for this as a culture? I believe there is. And I ask myself now, wow, am I starting to see the manifestation of it? And I and I and then I wrestle. Is it the politics? Is it the re- reaction to COVID? When did it start? What I'm getting at, Miles, when you or I were young, and at least in my family, because we've always lived in different states, you've been a part of in my family, sitting around with my father, the great bald one, as we called him, uh, Baldy, and all kinds of other names that were all affectionate, but that's what it was. So brother-in-law, sister, you, Miles Bauer, myself. A large group of people, fairly speaking, large, several, the immediate family, sitting around the kitchen table drinking coffee, shooting a breeze. Rarely, if ever, was there politics. There just wasn't. I think I'm the first guy at family gatherings, Thanksgiving. In fact, I can remember the one I started at. It was during the Reagan first term, and I'm sitting there in Pontiac, Michigan, everybody working for either the police department or a, or a UAW um, you know, General Motors plant, and I'm over there talking Reaganism. And, and I'm proud of that, by the way. But there was not arguing back then. That's where I'm going with this. Two things were different. First off, the families always gathered. It was rarely a week that went by that the family didn't gather. And we would always be sitting, sometimes out in the yard, sometimes at the kitchen table, uh, but we always gathered. And so when I look at a month in total, it was rare that we didn't gather at least three times in a month. And then over the time, we've talked about it over the last couple of years, the infighting within families. Uh, Miles, you have known me almost all my life. You know my sister and I are really close. And right. I found myself embroiled in a big argument with my sister this week. And that's what put me really on this on this email I got because I'm going, wow, I just did that. I get it. <laughs> I'll start with you, Miles, just because of our age. Uh, I, I think that what we're doing to Jen, turn out the vote and all of that stuff, for everybody's agenda-driven narratives, I think we're hurting ourselves seriously as a society. What say you, Miles Bauer? Oh, no. I mean, I, I think this has been uh, an item on the progressives' uh, goals to basically tear down our uh, culture because they want to rebuild our culture in their vision. 
And they can't do that under our given culture. So they have to, they have to characterize our culture as racist, inherently racist. The founding fathers are racist and there's systemic racism and you and I are domestic terrorists and they, they, they have to find a way to tear the existing culture down. So while you're talking, Miles, Ludwig is changing, shaking his head no. And, of course. And, and before, but listen, he may have a valid point. He's in a different generation. But right. before you start, let me give you a, do, a little dovetail. Because when I look back and say, when did this start from Miles's perspective, at least when I started noticing it, well, and I've mentioned this lady before, but Candace Bergen, when she got into the, the new lifestyle thing, when I look at the new lifestyle thing that she advocated back in the early 80s, we've touched on this, and I'm not going to make it the, the whole segment, but when I look at what she advocated for and all the far left clap like penguins with excitement, and then I start looking at, okay, what our single family, what's the product of what she was advocating for? And if you want to know the answer, go to your local state level prison and do a survey. How many here are from single parent or no parent families? Because that's what Candace and the entire Democrat Party back then advocated for. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. And Lud, what say you? So it's not that I d disagree with Miles. I think, I think what you're saying is right. But when I look at this topic, it's, it's not all about politics. Lives have changed. The, the speed of life has changed. The speed of what we do business has changed. Everything has changed. So I remember telling my mom years ago, you know, it's, it's harder. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, it's more expensive now. She goes, well, relative. I said, no, no, no. I'm talking about the, the cost of inflation and all that stuff. I'm talking about when, when we were kids, you could buy cable if you wanted it. Not everybody had it. Most didn't. Most didn't. Right. Now, not only do I have to have cable, I got to have internet. You didn't have an internet bill. Right. Back then, you had a, a house phone, which was pretty cheap unless you made long-distance calls. Now I have to have a cell phone, and they charge you through the roof for it. And the cost of buying the phone is way more. And I can't not have one. So the things that I have to have to, to survive in, in, our, in our world, not, not a third world country, in America. We're a third world country now. Look at our president. Uh, okay, yeah. But again, stay on the political side. The, the cost of living and what I have to, to do that they didn't have to do is so much greater. So you have to have a second income household. The roles of the household and who runs it have changed. My dad was at my house a couple weeks ago, and he's like, I, he's sitting in a chair, and I said, I love sitting in that chair. The problem is the TV's got to turn this way. He goes, well, if my dad wouldn't. He'd have a face of me. I said, yeah, well, I got you know, a wife and kids. He goes, he didn't care. <laughs> it was his chair, his TV, and his house. I'm like, yeah, that, that's not how things work anymore. The, the yeah. roles have definitely shifted. The idea that a man is stupid, the, that he's weak, that a father isn't to be respected, you see it through television and the change there. Uh, it's not always political. It's so now you're looking at it through the gender through the gender. A lot lens. of things have changed, but they have. But the, but some of them are by, by choice. So I think, by the way, on the way to the to the studio today, folks, I called talked to three of my four daughters to get their view because they're all Lud's age and younger, and they listed things about they're running their kids everywhere, folks. I didn't run my. I was very close with my daughters. Miles will tell you that. But I was not their their taxi cab. Mm -hmm. And so people don't get together like I was opining earlier because their day is fractured. People are running everywhere. To your point, they've got a mega investment going on with technology. But, but I can tell you when the phone was on the wall, 
a phone call was really important. Mm-hmm. Now with that, now I don't even want to bother talking to you. I just text you. Yeah. I, that's a different. It, we're we're going to end up with a different society as a result of not just politics, to your point, but all of these things. Listen, folks, I'm out of time, but I got to ask you one last thing. Please do me a favor. Email me, Mike at the MikeHewittShow.com. Tell me where we're wrong. Tell me where we're right. Tell me what you wished we'd be talking about, and we will. I answer everybody. I genuinely look forward to getting your emails. Miles, Ludd, Jared, folks, everybody, thank you. Please be safe.